We're recording. Yeah, I got my book and I got my notes. I can hear you and it's great. So Tara got a new computer. Yes. (laughs) Because it was just her birthday, but also because her computer died. So she had no choice. (laughs) It was dumb, but it works better. So I'll take it. Much better, man. Usually when I call her on Zencaster, there's so much lag between Zencaster and Zoom that I have to call her to in order to hear every word that she says. And we don't have to do that right now, which is great. great. Also, in case you missed what I said, Tara just turned 73. Yep, I'm 73 now. You don't look a day over 94. Get the hell out of here. (laughs) (laughs) No, her birthday was three days ago. Happy birthday, Tara. Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) I got to break a pinata filled with booze on my birthday. That sounds great. I saw the picture on Instagram. I said something like, there better be tacos in that thing. And Tara said, it's actually much better than that. And I was like, human blood? And unfortunately, it wasn't human blood. It was just mini bottles of alcohol. It was good times, though. Tacos would have been messy. It would have, but I can just see like you breaking that thing open and just tacos raining down on you and you being in like utter heaven. Also, I could go for some tacos now. Always. And she's got the girls on display, too, in case you were wondering. But y'all can't see them. They're only for Adam. For my eyes only, Terry's boobies. Before we jump into our Harry Potter goodness, we are recording this on June 6th. This probably won't be published until mid-July, but we want to really quickly address everything that's going on in the world right now before we get into our typical silly selves. Of course, there is a lot of protesting and uprising within the Black Lives Matter movement. If you've been listening to us, you know that both Tara and I and everybody here at the Basic Snitches Compound, which includes basically our cats, 100 support the Black Lives Matter movement and are doing our best to be good allies to the communities that really need it the most right now. We are doing our best to educate ourselves and support and stand up for our brothers and sisters who are dealing with all of this and have been dealing with all of this for years and years and years. I mean, when it comes down to it, if you are listening to a Harry Potter podcast and you are spouting off All Lives Matter or that stupid Whiteout Wednesday or whatever it might be, you're missing the point. (laughs) Obviously, we are several books away from when it gets really difficult in these books, but you can see some parallels in that to what's going on right now. And it's June, it's Pride Month. First Pride was a riot. We have so much to thank riots for. I mean, of course, gay rights, a five-day work week, free speech. We can never understand. Obviously, both here and I are white, but we hear you, we see you, we stand with you, and we support you. Thank you for saying that. It's a world filled with a lot of selfishness, especially right now. It's hard to remember that it's not always about you. I think it's important to remember that we're all human. I am 100% with Adam on everything he said and I'm never going to know the right thing to say in this regard and neither is he because we are privileged as as part of the stupid white race. White people are kind of terrible sometimes, all the time. I just want to reiterate that we do stand with you. We're not going to know the exact right thing to say, but we do know how much you do matter. Already through all of this, you know, I see terrible things happening out there on social media, but it feels like every day things seem to be improving day by day. It's baby steps and everything, but I think it's long overdue change 
change that is going to make the world a better place for everybody and hopefully really stop the violence and the killing that we've seen so much and almost become accustomed to, which is why this is so important. So yeah, Black Lives Matter. Hi, everybody. This is Editing Adam. I don't have the elevator music over me today because it doesn't really warrant it. This is kind of an extension of what we had recorded about Black Lives Matter. After we finished recording, Tara reached out and recommended that we talk about some of the statements that J.K. Rowling actually talked about on Twitter about all the trans folks out there. I actually did not know as much about this as I think Tara did. I've been trying to avoid social media for my own mental health these days. Even with the coronavirus and everything, it's just very overwhelming for someone who works in marketing. Anyway, the tweets, in a nutshell, kind of dismissed the validity of trans people and what they are going through and feeling that they are trapped in the wrong body or what have you. Same sort of thing that we talked about in the Black Lives Matter discussion that we just had. Tara and I are both cisgender. We are not transgender. We don't know what that's like. Both of us fall under the LGBTQ plus umbrella, but we are not in that T portion. But we absolutely support all of our trans friends and family out there and don't agree with or in any way support what J.K. Rowling was saying. I recommend that you look it up if you want a little bit more details. To be honest, even reading her tweets, I thought they were kind of strange and not only worded kind of weird, but coming at a really poor time since we're going through this movement. It's also LGBT Pride Month, things like that. I want to give some thought to how, as Harry Potter fans, we can support and love this world that she created when we don't agree with something that she says. As we're all consuming media, whether it's music, books, movies, TV shows, whatever it may be, you can always love that fandom without condoning what the creator is standing for or making a stand for. Tara and I both want to be an example of that, that we are here to have fun and read this beloved series, but we completely rebuke what JK has said. So to expound upon what I said earlier, not only do Black lives matter, but so do trans lives, so do LGBTQ lives. You are valid, you are loved, and we see you, we stand with you, and we support you. You want to hear who won and lost chapter 14? <laughs> you always ask me. I do. I have to stop asking you. Hey, Adam, yeah. it's time to hear who won and lost chapter 14. <laughs> I appreciate your confidence and assertiveness. The win of chapter 14 is Lupin. There's an argument for some other wins, specifically Hagrid, but Lupin is the winner for me. I think you can go back and listen, guys. Uh, this is Harry. Is the loser Harry? Honestly, Lupin explains to us all why Harry loses this chapter. Um, just how careless he is. But he's not the loser, right? He is the loser. <laughs> he really is the loser of this chapter? Harry's the loser. Of Snape's grudge? Yep. Not Snape? Not Snape. Wow. I had a really hard time. Like, 
Lupin was an easy win, but I was like, I gotta give Harry the loss. It's more so just about how careless he was about going to Hogsmeade, not thinking about the fact that he has the Marauder's Map and like, you just, basically literally everything Lupin says to him in that chapter. Yeah, that's why Harry loses. So Lupin actually- Wow, I was just being facetious. I really thought Snape was gonna lose that chapter because I had to edit about about 10 minutes of you talking about how much you hate Snape. Surprise! Wow, just full of surprises. So I wrote a uh, summary of chapter 15. Time for me to read the thing. Read the thing. (laughs) Chapter 15. The Quidditch final. Hagrid and Buckbeak were not successful at the trial. You said you wrote trail. I thought that Buckbeak and Hagrid went on a nice hike and I completely ignored that part of the chapter. Hagrid and Buckbeak were not successful at the trial. Good news. Buckbeak enjoyed London. Great touristy stuff for hippogriffs. Also, Ron and Hermione have made up, finally. Ron has now decided that it's his life mission to help with Buckbeak's appeal. It's very sweet, but you know what is really sweet? Hermione punching Draco. Literally one of the best moments in all of the books. Fight me if you disagree, I don't disagree. That fucker is laughing at the misery of a man whose pet is about to be executed. Which, by the way, is his fucking fault. So yeah, punch that mofo. We say motherfucker here on Basic Snitches. I wanted you to say mofo. I wrote it for that reason. Fair. I make you say some pretty ridiculous (laughs) things. After that amazing moment, it's time for charms, but somehow Hermione disappears. They find her later sleeping on some books. Then they go to divination, and this new Hermione is on fire today because she sasses Trelawney and fucking quits divination. It's brilliant. Everyone is studying like effing crazy. Again, fucking crazy. What's with this with the abbreviation of this year? <laughs> I don't know. Everyone is studying like effing crazy as school year is coming to a close. Also, Quidditch finals are here, and it's time for Gryffindor versus Slytherin. The night before the match, Harry wakes up and looks out his dorm windows to see Crookshanks with his new BFF, a giant fucking dog that looks like the Grim. Maybe he's not seeing the Grim, though, if Crooksy can see it too. No time to worry about that, though, because it's time for sports, complete with cheating, biased commentary, more cheating, Madame Hooch finally calling people on their bullshit, and Gryffindor wins! Fucking finally. Oliver Wood may not have survived. It's also time that we got a chapter that wasn't filled with everyone dealing with bullshit. Also, the chapter has minimal Snape win. Yes, win indeed. We don't have to hear Terrace rant about Snape. (laughs) Snape's terrible. So obviously this opens up where the last chapter ended. We do learn that Buckbeak was not successful in the trial or the trail as it may be. Get <laughs> Almost immediately, Ron has a complete change of heart. Like very, very quick. It's so relatable that Ron is like, I have to work twice as hard because I fucked up. At one point, I remember being like, oh, too little, too late, Ron, you piece of shit. But honestly, if you slacked off the first time and now you have another opportunity to do something to help, I feel like, yeah, you're going to want to work harder. I definitely don't think it's too little too late. I mean, better late than never, I think is maybe where I'm more at. I think that's correct. I do think that he had opportunities and it would have been nicer if it came at a time that was a little bit better than some tragedy happening. 
because that is sort of how it seems but hey i mean he got there eventually there is some refreshingness to that it is kind of funny and out of his comfort zone to say that he is going to take over helping hagrid with the appeal Mm -hmm. especially because the overwhelming nature of this chapter is very very apparent to me and they really do cover ground nicely like hermione's obviously overwhelmed because she's in every single class Harry's overwhelmed because he, of course, has finals too, but then Quidditch. And it's a very high pressure situation with them potentially and eventually, of course, winning the cup. And so there's this opportunity for Ron to kind of step in. So I think that kind of also made his time to apologize or realize that he did something wrong well-timed. I really like that. I think it's relatable. I mean, we've all sort of been there and sometimes you make a mistake and you don't realize, you know, what you've done or, you know, eventually you have to actually own up to it. And then, of course, we do have that lovely little moment where Hermione gets to slap Draco. Oh, it's like the greatest thing ever. Huge, huge fan. This is also, I think, maybe the first time I was going to say that this is maybe the first time that we see Hermione under pressure, but we've seen Hermione under pressure in the past, like in the first book when she's helping them with all of the puzzles leading up to Quirldemort. But this is different. I feel like they have not experienced this level of pressure before, and it doesn't necessarily have anything to do with a life or death situation necessarily either. I feel like maybe it's a little bit more real life that they're being pressured with. Yeah, I agree. And I take that back. It There is the life and de- death situation with Buckbeak, but it's kind right. of a little bit more external to them. Well, I don't think that they realize what that really is. And I think you actually were right when you were saying that it's more everyday normal stuff. And so I think this punch, I'm sorry, in the movie, it's a punch. In yeah. the book, it's a slap. It's a slap. I just like to assume it's a punch always. <laughs> yes, I think the punch is a little bit better. We'll we'll talk more about that shortly. But the slap is one of those moments where you really see, oh, okay, Hermione really is at her boiling point. And it's kind of escalated to this too. You know, there have been these little scenes where Harry tries to go and check on Hermione when she's doing all the homework and they're partying after they defeated Ravenclaw, for example. Yeah. So you start to see, okay, there is a lot going on with her and she has kind of reached her limit but this is the first indication of that it's boiled over and that of course then leads into these other things that happen like her sleeping through charms i feel so sad for her (laughs) hermione is so wound up at this point because ron and harry were not above hitting malfoy she just got there first and then they're like oh fuck we have to like hold her back she was gonna hit him again and if you're she should have yeah they should have let him they they're like, she's about to hit him again. And then she pulls out her wand. She's not having this. And I think it's so great. I love her so much. Yeah, it's going to be interesting, too, because now we've gotten to this point with Hermione. Where else are we going to go? And obviously, we'll talk about that when we get there. But there's so many other moments to come where she really takes control of things and enacts the solution, essentially, of this book. Yeah, I do kind of feel bad for her. I can't imagine Hermione, like, missing a class and, like, sleeping through it, nevertheless. And then, of course, when she gets to divination, you see another big element of this where she quits and storms out. Right, but she's like sassy through the whole class, like before she even gets. I really love that. You were saying it before, this is 
kind of like the breaking point. But I love when Trelawney is like, the fates have informed me that you will be studying crystal ball gazing. And she's like, yeah, of course they have because she makes the test. Like, I just imagine her being just like, are you fucking kidding me? And I love that Ron and Harry are so amused by her. I said it in an earlier episode how I do kind of think Hermione is being a little bit disrespectful. Hermione is and being that- disrespectful. That's That's true. But at that point, I even said, like, she's under a lot of pressure. And now she's at this point, too. And I mean, there have been times in, like, classes, too, where it's just you don't get it. And it's not something that is really up your alley. Obviously, I talked about astronomy in the past in college. And I think that I had said that I quit College 101 in order to take that because I got to that class and I was like, I don't need to learn how to like talk to and like relate to other people. But there was another class that I took in my junior year. One of my honors classes I took was called Narratives and Neurons. And it was neuroscience plus journalism, essentially. So the first month was like an intro to neuroscience class condensed. And then you took a test, and that was worth basically half your grade. And the remainder of the semester, you had to write a case study about somebody who had suffered from brain damage. And that involved interviewing them and writing about their story and including some of that scientific knowledge. Back then, I definitely was a little bit more right brain than I was left brain. Now I am a lot more of an analytical kind of person. And I would never have taken neuroscience ever. I'm still squeamish. I still would never take a neuroscience class. (laughs) But I had to take this crash course for a month. And we did study groups every single day. And then I took the test. And while I was taking it, I was like, there's absolutely no way I'm passing this test. My advisor at the time was one of the professors. And after I had turned in my test, I approached him and asked if I could talk to him out in the hall. And I dropped the class right then and there. I would be like, nope, I can't do this. Bye. It is not worth me getting a poor grade at this point if I can still drop the class. But that's one of those instances where it's just like, hey, this is not in my wheelhouse and I don't need to do this. And to be honest, Trelawney saying that in front of the entire class, and I think I may have said something like that in the past as well, is really unprofessional. And it's a little bit snapey, like what we talked about in the past of Snape bad-mouthing Lupin in front of the entire class. Yeah, not necessary to be like that. So honestly, I'm like, yeah, get the fuck out of there, Hermione. Good for you. One thing that I do kind of think is interesting about the class is that she does finally say something about like relaxing your mind prior to the crystal ball gazing. Mm -hmm. That's something that I touched on being like a 101 thing. Like you need to be like focused and grounded before you do any of this. So I'm glad that she mentions it here, but this is one of those instances of too little too late. Yeah, Um, she should have mentioned that before the tea leaves lesson. One other note really quick that I skipped over. After she skips Charm's class, she goes to apologize to Flitwick. And he tells her something about like, this could be in the exam. I was like, is there no opportunity for them to like catch up on coursework? Right. Like, what if you get sick? Yeah, seriously. What if you're in the hospital wing and everything? Maybe this was an unexcused absence, perhaps. But give her a break. It's Hermione. I imagine that that meeting Flitwick was probably pretty understanding. I feel like he's actually a competent, fair teacher. I think so too. Um, Hermione's probably just, she's so high strung right now. Everything just feels awful to her, I'm sure. Also, I feel like she has whipped up 
learning some spells and charms in the past so quickly. Like, I know this is a third year thing, but she's already done some things far beyond her age. Being able to conjure a cheering charm by herself, even though she is already doing all this other stuff, hey, at least she knows that it's going to be in the, on the exam. I feel confident that she would be able to recover from missing that class pretty quickly. Oh, yeah. I'm pretty sure that Flitwick feels confident about that, too. This is where they start talking about everyone getting ready for exams. And I'm just concerned about 13-year-olds having literal nervous breakdowns and about to be in tears over exams. Is there a guidance counselor at this Right? That's like one of those adults. How you were like, there should be more adults. Like the guidance counselor. Get them a guidance counselor. Like we have a janitor and a librarian and... Who clearly don't do anything, so... And a school nurse. So we know that there's like these other faculty members having like a guidance counselor would be an interesting thing too, because outside of the hijinks that these three go through, there's still a lot of crazy shit that happens at the school. It's a magic school. So <laughs> yeah, it is. It is a magic school. Tara. I, I just feel like it's not just the nurse sits around all day and waits for like a kid with a stomach bug to come in once a week. I feel like it's pretty fucking crazy there. Get more adults. Also, there's not a whole lot of jobs for wizards to do anyway. So why are there not more of them working at the school? Yeah, that's true, too. You know me. I'm an expert. (laughs) An expert on the wizarding society. Obviously. uh, Duh. As we are getting into the Quidditch stuff, Mm -hmm. as much as Oliver Wood has been a beacon of light in this, I love that Harry's basically like, Oliver, I know how fucking Quidditch works. Yeah. (laughs) He's like, now remember how to do this. And I love Harry being like, oh my God, stop it. I already called back to what you said about there needing to be more adults in the school. You said there was something else in the past where Oliver is putting pressure on Harry. And this is one of those other moments, too, that leads into that. Like, hey, I get it. I don't need you to tell me about this. Again, it's just it shows how like on edge all these children are. Can we also really quickly talk about the little leaks incident that happens? Speaking of Madame Pomfrey and the things that she has to deal with. I love how specific that is, is that they got in a fight and they had now have leaks growing out of their ears. Right. They're like, well, that sounds terrible. I have had really bad spring allergies lately, and it always feels like there's leaks growing out of my ears. Itchy eyes and itchy ears. That's what you assume that is? Or have you actually ever felt leaks grow out? I imagine that this is what it would feel like. (laughs) That's fair. I mean, (laughs) that and like muffled hearing, I assume. Everyone's just trying to sabotage each other because that's apparently what we do here. That's a big theme in this chapter is sabotage. And like, as we get into the actual match, like it's constant. However, before we do talk about the match, the one really important thing is when Crookshanks is hanging out with the mysterious black dog who could potentially be a human. We're not thinking in this point that that could potentially be a human, but yes. You know what I was actually thinking of? Because the big revelations that happen at the end of this book, that being time travel and the Animagi, you haven't really gotten enough clues to this point yet that suggest that those are things that are coming up. There's inklings of it, I think a little bit more with Hermione, like when they see her actual exam schedule and see two exams at the same time. But at the same time, it's just kind of a weird thing. And regarding the Grim or this giant black dog, same thing. It's a little bit hard to figure that out if you're reading it for the first time, I think. Whereas the clues for Lupin becoming a werewolf, I think are a little bit more obvious. We're not necessarily meant to figure this out. We're meant to be able to look back once we know 
and see how it works versus yeah. oh yeah. I think it's more interesting though now that we are looking back at it because I think those are the elements that are more likely to be bigger surprises. Oh yeah. One thing I did want to say in that like little section where Harry has the weird dream and then he wakes up and sees Crookshanks and all that. I find the way that the description of that section to be really well done. It starts with the grounds were still and quiet. It goes on to describe what Harry sees outside with the Whomping Willow and everything and like how the moon is shining and all of that. And it really sets it up for him to see Crookshanks and then be startled by the dog. And I love how that's kind of creepy. But then also in the same moment, he's like, if Crookshanks can see the dog, then it's an actual dog. It's not the Grimm. I find it's really interesting that Harry is kind of in that frame of mind in this scene that's kind of set up to kind of be a little spooky and mysterious. It's literally like just a couple paragraphs. For him to come to that revelation at this like early hour of the day, good on you. Because I don't know if I necessarily would have thought that. I would have been like, oh my God, it's the Grimm again. I wonder in the book when he sees the Grimm in the stands in the Quidditch match, if he would have made that connection if people were interacting with the Grimm. So it's almost like all of these people were just completely ignoring that, that there was a giant black dog there among them. Overall, I just thought that was a really brilliant deduction that he made. Okay, well, clearly this is not a symbol. It's it's an actual dog. Well, and in the Quidditch match, like where he thinks he sees the dog, it's storming. People can barely see why the fuck are you having a Quidditch match. But really enjoy that. I think that's really well placed. It is time for my favorite Quidditch match of the entire series. Of course it is, it is, because Gryffindor wins. It's not because, well, Gryffindor wins most of the matches we see them play because the story is about a Gryffindor. The cup. Fair. What I love is I think that it is such a well-written match. I don't give a shit about Quidditch, but I love this scene. It's very action-packed, very similar to the Ravenclaw one. But like you said already, they play dirty. There's some real dirty shit going on. Slytherin's like, oh, we're just going to bring all these big people on. But you kind of see how it plays to their advantage. They're able to kind of take out some players pretty easily that way. It's not a great strategy, though, too, because you know that prior to the game starting, when they're like in a huddle or whatever, Marcus is literally instructing them to just be as aggressive as possible during the game. Flint sucks. But it's a terrible idea because every single time this happens, Madame Hooch is actually on her shit and she is throwing penalties around. And like Gryffindor isn't innocent either, but Slytherin really is the main antagonist here. Yeah, even a couple places where they're like both getting penalty shots because Gryffindor is also not exactly playing fair, but Slytherin is more okay with doing that. It's more embedded within the way that they play the game. There are a couple little details here that I wanted to point out. It says something about Malfoy was paler than ever. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, that's weird. Does he have like a really good skin routine? Did he exfoliate more today or something? (laughs) Also, when the Gryffindors come out onto the field, Lee is announcing them. And they're all in alphabetical order, except Harry is first. It should have been Belle, Johnson, Potter, Spinet, Weasley, Weasley Wood. That's what it should have been. And like, okay, you could say that it's the books about Harry, but that's another one of those moments where I am like, the student body must be like, you know, we don't really have an English class here, but we know the goddamn alphabet. I mean, it's really not that relevant. But in the next chapter, when Trelawney calls them all up for their final alphabetically, 
everyone else is alphabetical, but then she takes and then Potter's one before Harry. And I'm like, yeah, I wonder if so now I'm trying to look and see is the order to go seeker, seeker first beaters and then the keeper or maybe part of me also was wondering if it was from youngest to oldest. But what year is Angelina? Is Angelina the same year as the twins or is she Angelina is younger than the twins. Okay, so that would make sense. So I think we lose Alicia in the next year because in Harry's fifth year, Angelina is captain. No, that would make Angelina and the twins the same age. But it would still make Alicia older. Katie is a year younger than... So Katie's between the twins and Harry. So it would have been, if it were younger to older, it would have been Potter, Belle... Johnson, Weasley, Weasley, Spinett, Wood. So I guess that's not it either. Regardless, I was just like, Harry's always first. Yeah. Unless it's the divination final. And then, of course, we were going to mention this anyways, but the kind of like rapport between Lee Jordan and McGuff that we have come to love. It's almost become like an expectation of what you're going to see at every single match. Yeah. But there is that one moment where Draco grabs onto the end of Harry's broom again, grabbing onto his broom without asking. Super rude and disgusting. That's an assault. Lee Jordan says, oh my god, look that fucking asshole or something like that. But McGuck can't pay attention because she's screaming it too. She's she's also pissed. Pointing into the air. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Can I tell you what my favorite play in the entire matches sure when the whole fucking slytherin team is going for angelina she still fucking scores because she's amazing angelina for president what it is is they're not taking good defensive tactics no they are just like fuck shit up that's their main strategy here as you know from reading at this point two and three quarters books and the amount of quidditch that is packed into these books mm-hmm. oliver is a strategic leader oh yeah just based on that fact alone despite who's on the brooms and what kind of brooms they are i think even then they have a heads up because marcus Flint couldn't care less so of course the chapter ends with them winning Yes. Everybody is very happy. Percy is jumping up and down. Hagrid is there and he's like, wait till I tell Buckbeak. The way that it ends with him mentioning a Dementor, I kind of enjoyed because it kind of brings us back into that other little struggle that was happening. At this point now, we've gotten past Quidditch. We've gotten past Crookshanks versus Scabbers to an extent. Obviously, that comes up a little bit more in the next chapter. We haven't really talked about the Dementor thing yet. Yeah. And it's been a minute, too. The fact that they re-mention that and say, hey, here's another thing to kind of keep thinking about amidst, you know, Sirius Black and the Grimm and all of that. that and has all the other shit we're thinking about. There's also these Dementors that have caused some issues. It's a good chapter. I don't want to say like it's a positive chapter because I think that that's kind of lame, but it really is. It's rewarding to read that chapter, I think. Rewarding is a good word for it, I think, because it shows, you know, they're all under all of this tension from everything that they're involved in. They're working hard and it pays off in the end positive was a better word for Gryffindor versus Ravenclaw that had a very very positive feel about it yeah and we keep on saying you know so much happens in these chapters where the mood shifts from the beginning to the end and this is one of those moments where you kind of see the cause and effect a little bit right within the chapter fuck Mary kill okay 
I am going to give you three moments from the trio in this chapter. Okay. I know. It's a little bit random. I'm grasping at straws a little bit here. Obviously, we're getting to the end. There's only so many people left that we haven't used in Fuck, Mary Kills. So I have to be a little bit creative. Each person in the trio has a really, really strong moment in this chapter. And those are Harry catching the snitch, Ron being nice and taking over the appeal, and Hermione punching Malfoy. Because I would watch it over and over and over again, I'm going to marry Hermione punching Malfoy. <laughs> I'm really torn between the other two because I really, really want to reward Ron for being great. But could you imagine, like, the good sex you're going to have with Harry after he wins a British match? So that question... All right, no. I mean, he's... Okay. <laughs> I mean, hey, if that's your thought process, there it is. So sorry, Ron. I really, really so care about you. The end. Everyone knows how I felt about Ron from the last few chapters. And that's a really, really great moment. But I don't think you can really compare that one with the other two, unfortunately. So I'm also going to kill Ron in this moment. I'm going to marry Harry, though. You know that my strategy has been a little bit more. I'm going to pick like the one that's a little bit more fun for the fuck and the one that's a little bit more stable. I know I keep using that word, but that's the one that comes to my head. And I don't know. I feel like Harry catching the snitch is an end product of some hard work. So I'm going to marry Harry and I'm going to fuck Hermione because that moment is really, really great and fun and well-deserved for dickhead. Yes. Fuck that guy. No. No, I, he wasn't one of the people. He was like, one of the options. No, <laughs> I'm not gonna fuck him. I'm fucking Hermione. I might be gay, but I'll still fuck Hermione over Draco. Yeah, always. You're really thinking hard about that. I'm trying to foresee future instances where Draco's gonna end up in this situation, and you're not going to kill him. I'm wondering if that will happen. Yeah, I'm looking at them from a cumulative standpoint, though. So that's fair. That's completely. Fair. I'll always be Team Hermione. Always, she's the best. Yeah. How do you feel about the movie in this You mean how this chapter is not really in the movie other than Hermione punching Draco? Literally, this is another one. There are so many chapters in this book where there's like that one little element that they actually do carry on into the movie. But in this case too, like how are you going to have Hermione punch or slap in the book punch in the movie? That's the difference. How are you going to have that happen and not show it? To just like focus on that moment in the movie, because the other thing that happens in the movie that's from this chapter is divination divination, and Hermione just kind of up and walking. But part of that also is like the next chapter and how they take care of that or whatever. I'm going to be honest. I think that they still get everything across that we need because the purpose of the chapter is Quidditch. We've already talked about how there's a lot of Quidditch in this book and they cut almost all of it out. Mm-hmm. After Harry falls out of the sky, no more Quidditch. So these chapters automatically make it easier for them to kind of like speed things up and get to the end. Mm-hmm. From what is in this book... The things to kind of remember are how much pressure Hermione is under and how that feeds into what they're about to rush into. Oh, yeah. I mean, even the moment in Divination is not quite as dramatic as it is in the book. I almost feel like in the book, Hermione is being more disrespectful and Tremione, Tremione. Oh my gosh, that's my OCP, Tremione. Jesus. There's probably fan fiction about that somewhere. Trelawney is being, I think, a little bit more of a bitch in the book, too. In the movie, I think she 
she is playing the character well in that she's a little bit more kooky and a little bit more self-righteous I guess it's interesting because Trelawney has this whole self-righteous thing. Like I can do this and not everybody can do it. And it's a rare thing. Yada, yada, yada. Yeah. But at the same time, she does it in almost this like bubble headed way of being that kind of mystical fortune teller kind of thing. And I think that the way that she plays it is really, really nice in the movie. Hermione doesn't do as much back talk. She kind of is staring at Trelawney when she's like reading her palm or whatever. Yeah. And then she kind of like in a huff gets up, knocks over the crystal ball. And I do like that visual of the crystal ball like rolling out of the door. And she just walks past it. Yeah. That's kind of interesting. I wonder if there's some sort of symbolism there of like Hermione taking control of her destiny (laughs) or something like that. Yeah. I really think that that seed looks really cool in the movie. Emma Thompson as Trelawney. I feel like she makes Trelawney more likable. I know that you already love Trelawney, but for people who are just kind of like, uh, she serves a very important purpose in the book for me, but I definitely can appreciate her more when I'm watching her in the movie because I love Emma Thompson. I think that makes sense. And I think that's probably a little bit more of why I like Trelawney so much. I've already talked a lot about how I don't think that her teaching methods are super good. So being able to see the character a little bit more and that kind of like hippy dippy thing that she's doing, I think makes her a little bit more fun. In terms of her like personality and this whole greater than thou sort of attitude that she Mm -hmm. has, there is this really big moment in the next chapter that I think is really the crux of what her personality is and who she is as a seer. So I'm excited to talk about that more. And I'm glad that we get more time with her, though we don't as much in the movies, we still get time with her in the books. And that's really what matters. Are you going to tell me your points? Yeah. See, you always asking questions. Nope. No points today. Nobody okay, gets bye. points. No basic <laughs> yep. Bye. No. <laughs> I'm going to give 30 points to Harry. He wins the match for all of these characters. They're all under a lot of pressure. So that kind of feeds into it too. But I think added pressure that Oliver gives to Harry kind of fuels him. And I think he is really smart about this match. And yeah, just 30 points to Harry. It's also been a minute since I've given Harry some points too. (laughs) Oh, you're so nice. Plus 25 to Hermione because we finally get to see Hermione when her lid kind of falls off. Punching Draco, obviously. She's also showing a little bit of vulnerability, which is not something we always see with her. Mm -hmm. The fact that she misses Charms class, she stands up to Trelawney as well. Like That's all pretty cool to see with her. Plus 10 to Ron for apologizing and taking over the appeal. And plus 10 to Lee Jordan because, I mean, we can't have a Quidditch chapter with me not giving points to Lee Jordan. Plus 5 to Crookshanks, too, for that little moment. Obviously, Crookshanks didn't really do anything, but, I mean, I guess Crookshanks kind of did. Crookshanks became BFFs with Sirius Black. That's a big spoiler, but y'all know. I mean, if you're reading the, if you're reading this. If you're reading the transcript of this podcast, you know. <laughs> I was going to, at first, give some points to Trelawney for that little thing about you have to clear your mind first, and then uh, the fact that she called Hermione out in front of the entire class. So this is one of those other moments where I'm like, I was going to give you some points, but now those are canceled. So she's at zero. Negative 10 to Draco for laughing about Hagrid's grief that he initially caused. And negative 35 for Lucius Malfoy for all the bullshit he's doing in the ministry to push along the murder of Buckbeak. That guy sucks. (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm going to come up with some really fun fuck Mary kills at the end that include him and Snape and all these other people just to see what you do. But we'll get there eventually. Jesus. Something for everyone to look forward to. Okay, so that was plus 30 to Harry, plus 25 Hermione, plus 10 Ron, plus 10 Lee, plus 5 Crookshanks, negative 10 Draco, negative 35 Lucius, and nothing for you, Trelawney. Yeah. Next time, we're going to be discussing Chapter 16, speaking of Trelawney, which is Professor Trelawney's prediction. Ooh. She actually does a thing. She does Look at thing. these teachers finally, like, stepping up and doing their jobs. Doing their jobs. Adam Trelawney. Hey, Filch, when are you actually going to clean something? I feel like he does clean something. Like, I feel like all he does is clean and he doesn't get any help. I hate Phil, yeah. but I feel He cleans like- peanut butter off of Snape's dick with his tongue. Oh my God. I just feel like it's wrong to make the guy who can't do magic clean a castle. Even though we hate the guy who can't do magic. There's there's no one else who can clean the castle? Who knows how to do magic? No? Okay. Yeah, we already talked about that. Yeah. Here we go. Here's a little impromptu fuck, Mary kill for you. Filch, Lucius, and Snape. Ooh. This one's just for you. I'm not going to answer it. <laughs> well, I'm going to- Kill Filch because he's disgusting. I'm probably gonna fuck Lucius. And I- Tara's Mary and Kate. Y'all heard it here first. I think Tara has turned a leaf for Snape. She didn't make him lose the last chapter, which is all about him. She wants to marry him now. Yeah, that's it. So anyway, guys, we will talk to you next time when we talk about Trelawney. That's right. And not these dicks. I feel like I have to respond to that, but... (laughs) So, if this episode felt a little bit weird for you, we haven't started drinking yet. Because the last episode, we both got really wasted during it. And so, we're, like, kind of pacing ourselves. Also, we started recording at four. We are rock stars. That's right. For once, we weren't like, well, it's five o'clock in an hour. So... (laughs) All right. Let's... let's, This one's done. Bye. Bye, you hosts. Bye. Basic Snitches is produced and recorded by Adam Bowers and Tara Corkery. Edited by Adam Bowers. And published by Tara Corkery via Podbean. And now available for download wherever you listen to podcasts. A special thanks to all of you for taking the time to download and listen to us. We hope you enjoyed us. If you enjoyed us, please be sure to rate us five stars on your listening app of choice. And if you didn't enjoy us, then we're sorry you're so angry. Please also connect with us. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Basic Snitches or email us at basicsnitches at gmail.com. We're excited to get more feedback from our listeners and to hear what you have to say about the questions and discussions we have on the podcast. Catch Catch you later, later, snitches. snitches!